0: You're listening to Market Like a Fintech, a podcast on a mission to find out what marketing strategies and tactics the top fintech companies use to acquire real customers, build a brand and grow revenue. I'm Araminta, your host for today, a marketing consultant, at Mint studios and partner at the Fintech Marketing Hub. In today's episode, I'm chatting with Shamir Sachdev, founder at fintech marketing agency Growth Gorilla. Growth Gorilla does growth marketing, channel strategy, page search, email automation, and a whole host of other marketing services. They've worked with over 25 fintech companies, such as LendFlow, PrimaryBid, and Nectar Technologies. For this episode, we decided to do a deep dive into what fintech marketing really is, how to take a fintech company from an idea to product-market fit and then to a scale-up. And finally, how fintech companies can make the right decisions based on data and analytics. It's an episode that is jam-packed with tips and actionable advice for anyone who's marketing a fintech company. So make sure to tune in till the end. Let's hear from Shamir. Hello, Shamir. Welcome to the podcast. Could you briefly give an introduction to our listeners? Tell us who you are and what is it that you do.
1: Yeah, of course. Well, look, uh, th- thanks first and foremost for having us on your podcast. Yeah. So Growth Gorilla is a growth marketing agency um, that specialises purely, entirely with working with fintechs, namely startup fintechs, and, and also scale up fintechs as well. Our background is that we work primarily in, in sort of two two or three key areas. One is developing strategy for clients, both go-to-market and growth strategy. Uh, we're very, very heavy on paid and performance marketing activity and then um, CRM or, or marketing automation uh, activity as well. And I'll, I'll sort of dive into that a little bit later. But yeah, um, our, our, our background stems from really my background where I was formerly um, sales and marketing director for a financial services company, probably the first generation of fintech, you know, it was a financial trading firm. And then I decided to uh, start my own journey and uh, set up an agency and sort of combining my love of marketing with my love of uh, financial services and financial technology. Um, Growth Gorilla was born.
0: Well, thanks for the, the brief summary. Uh, our aim with this episode really is to kind of do a, a deep dive into fintech marketing and, w- and kind of offer really actionable and detailed uh, tips uh, for fintech founders and fintech CMOs who are looking to really grow their marketing and the company, obviously. So before we get started, could you tell us in, you know, from your own experience, how is marketing a fintech different from marketing a financial services company or even a different kind of company?
1: So I think there's sort of a handful of key differences. When you're marketing a, say, a traditional financial services proposition, there may be an absence of technology. So you you take, for example, say, a mortgage broker or even a banking proposition. What you're really doing is, is that you're driving brand awareness, you're driving users to the site, um, and then you're asking them to complete a form or perhaps an inquiry, or and in some cases, to submit a, an application. Other sectors, usually when you're conducting marketing activities, the aim of the game is to bring people to your website or maybe your physical location, and then there's a distinct value exchange. Um, and what I mean by that is, is that they pay some money and they get a product in return. Um, with fintech, It's different from both financial services and these other industries by the very fact of of the presence of technology. So you're nine times out of 10 driving a user to a website. From there, you're asking them to download an app, open an account, sign up. But by and large, what you're doing is that you're moving them from your marketing website to your app, whether it's a mobile app or a web app. And then you're asking them to go through an onboarding process, which is majority of the time, self-serve. So you're expecting a user to go from hitting the website to becoming a customer effectively without really any support from a salesperson, customer services, a personal banker, um, or you know, yeah, a salesperson being involved. The big part of that is is that's where sort of marketing and product become really, really sort of heavily intertwined. You know, your, your product is 100% marketing and your marketing is, is 100% product to a degree. You, you have to make sure that you're providing um, users with a premium experience. I don't like to just use the word user experience because it's, it's more than that. It's, it's, it's the entire customer experience from first touch point all the way till they become an active customer. So that could be an um, add-in on Facebook or LinkedIn or or Google all the way to the point where they're going through the onboarding process and then eventually signing up and then they're receiving the emails and communications afterwards to make them an active customer or to to activate them as a customer. So that's that's where sort of fintech really, really is incredibly different from, as I said, from financial services because – you know, right now, if you try to open a bank account with, say, HSBC, for example, you'll go onto their website, you'll click their call to action, you'll probably fill in some sort of form. And then after that, it'll become a very, very manual process. Or even if you're looking for business finance or for, uh, you know, from, from, a, from an incumbent, it'll be a very, very similar process. Or even, you know, a trading platform. You know, I recently opened up an account with AJ Bell, and the entire process was incredibly manual. You know, you fill in the forms that are on the site, they ping you an the email. Then after that, I had to actually, if you can imagine, print off a form, sign it, and send it across. Um, and I, I still haven't completed the onboarding process because I don't have a printer. Uh, well, I do now, but I haven't, I haven't connected it up yet. Because, but that's a different problem with technology that we can talk about another day. Uh, but with FinTech, you're doing that end-to-end. And that really, really leans into um, who the audiences are for fintechs. You know, there will be the millennials, the the Gen Zers, and 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 they're getting older, and, and, and fintech um, is becoming more agile and more relatable to to, to them as you know a, a, as an audience.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, fintech is democratization of finance, and essentially, what you're saying is that it's it's all about the customer experience and what. One of the primary differences between Fintech and why Fintech exists and why it came about after the 08 financial crisis is that customers wanted something more more customer centric more that met their net needs, and Fintech does that like it focuses on the customer, whereas traditional financial services don't so much
1: uh, yeah absolutely just, just, just on that. I mean you know I think a big part of fintech, yeah, I think you know what you mentioned about 08 is is hugely important. To, to the development of the industry, you know, a big lack in trust for, from sort of traditional banking services and financial services providers um, sparked the need and want to have challenges come into the marketplace. In addition, the development of technology allowed these fintech firms to isolate a specific product that traditional financial services companies are offering you know whether it be loans or or investing or trading whatever it is and focus on just providing an amazing customer experience for that that one niche product to a niche audience so absolutely yeah
0: yeah I, i like what you said that fintech is marketing is marketing and product completely intertwined so if we were to start you know back to the basics start from the beginning where does a fintech get started when it comes to marketing? Since you say it's so intertwined with product, where where does that process start?
1: Yeah, you know, if, if I if I was going to sort of kick it off, kick off that answer with a bit of advice, um, it would be as soon as humanly possible. I think the day you start thinking about mapping out your product is the day that you start thinking about your marketing activity, because you know onboarding onto your platform doesn't start from when they reach the first page of your sign-up process it starts from the first touch point that they have with your brand which could be an ad or, you know on facebook or or, or a you know or, or google search ad for example so where to get started with fintech marketing is deciding a few key things first and foremost being absolutely hundred percent clear about who you're going to target and not trying to be all things to all men. It's also then deciding exactly what your value proposition is going to be. So, what problem you're solving? So, think of it in this format: you know, what does that audience need? What's their reason to believe in your product? And what are the concrete outcomes they're going to get from using your product? Between sort of nailing the the you know who you're going to market to and what you're going to say you can then start deciding what messaging you're going to put out uh, and to who. In in, in terms of what channels you use for marketing, well, that that really kind of boils down to what's appropriate for your audience and where they live, but also your budget as well. But certainly the starting point is absolutely nailing down the bare basics. The other thing to to sort of add to that and, and being a little bit more tactical and getting into the weeds a little bit is starting to think about your onboarding process and your marketing stack that you're going to need to aid your your acquisition. So yes, you've got your channels, it might be Facebook, it might be Google, but once users come to the website, what do you, you know, what is your gonna be, you know, what is gonna be your mechanism from getting them from your website onto your form or to your sign up onboarding process and then through that onboarding process, and then eventually once they've signed up to actually being an active customer. So think about all of those touch points. So the way that we try to Lay out our cut clients' marketing activity is, yes, using the very, very traditional you know awareness consideration, conversion, but then we also like to add in activation and retention as well. And if you start thinking those terms, you know what what are the things that you can be doing from an awareness perspective? What are the things that you can be doing to get your audience to consider who you are? What are the things that you can be doing from consideration? What are the things that you, 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 know, do you need to be doing from activation and retention? And also, therefore, what tools and resources do you need to put in place in order to try and support all of those things? And it can become you know, incredibly complex, but the best place to start off is, is keep it simple. Um, you know, there, there, there's not a single brand in the world that has gone from nothing in terms of marketing activity to having a multi-channel marketing campaign that's complex over, you know, out of home and online with with TV campaigns and, you know, email marketing uh, communications that are 10 layers deep. Um, So start with the basics and then start pushing traffic through the the funnel and then see what happens. So going back, you know, to, to the question, you know, where to get started, get the infrastructure in place, and then as soon as you can start pushing volume through your your platform um, and your onboarding process, your funnel, the better, because then that will massively highlight what what the bumps in your road are and the areas that need focus. And you you can't predict where that's going to be.
0: Yeah, that's why testing is such an important part of marketing, right? And at the beginning, you also, when we were differentiating between fintech and financial services, you said that one key distinction is the fact that fintech is very self-service. And... I think of that primarily as B2C fintech, but it's true that obviously B2B fintech is also completely disrupting the financial service industry. So when it comes to marketing and also B2B, there is sales, there is a more labor- laborious process of you know going through the funnel. So in that case, would you say that B2C and B2B fintech marketing are fundamentally different?
1: Oh, that's, a, that's a really, really good question. Uh, unfortunately, it's, it's it's an area that has huge amounts of shades of grey. So in, in my mind, you know, there's definitely B2C, but then there's probably a scale of, of how I would manage, you know, B2B campaigns depending upon who the audience was. Um, I suppose it, at one end you've got um, products that are aimed towards SMEs, you know, uh, one-man bands, freelancers, um, that you would treat very, very similarly. To A, B, to C proposition. Um, And at the other end, you've got enterprise level products that, you know, know, we refer to as going elephant hunting, that you're looking for perhaps a handful of contracts in a year. And I would say that that one end where we've got the SMEs, they can be very, very much self-serve, you know, take Xero, for example, or QuickBooks or, or, you know, Starling banks business account, for example, that can be very, very much self-serve. But at the upper end, you've got um, you know, more complex solutions. But I think the expectations for a B2B FinTech is very, very different from a B2B FinServe product. You know, giving example, if you were going to buy a Bloomberg terminal, um, you know, you would be brought into the process, you'd probably have to speak to a salesperson um, from day one. You know, you would make an inquiry in then from day one and you know, it, it would all be pretty much Sales led, whereas you know a B two B that uh, or, or, or a a B two B fintech would more likely be spending their time focusing on doing a lot more demand gen as opposed to just lead generation. And what I mean by that is is production of, of high quality content, trying to educate the user, and then driving them into the funnel, and then having sales pick up from marketing. Pretty much after the point where the user is already convinced that they need the product.
0: Yep, definitely. Well, from what I'm hearing, you're saying that both B2B and B2C demand generation is like more prominent than in financial services. It's key part to marketing demand gen.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. so, so yeah, certainly on the B2B front, um, and, and I think that's you know also massively in line with. The, the the DNA in fintech as well um, because, you know, if you think about where marketing is heading in general, um, I was just having a conversation earlier with someone and, and, and the gist of it was, you know, if you were setting up a business, you know, 10 years ago, you, you, know, you wouldn't be heavily reliant on, on online traffic. So you'd be very, very focused on either one of two things. You'd either be setting up a business to service people in your local area um, or, you would be setting up a business to target everyone. Whereas now with, you know, with, with social media where it is, you in reality can set up a business with, you know, just targeting people with specific interests or specific users. So, you know, there's going to be a big trend of, of neobanks for, so neobanks for freelancers, neobanks for e-commerce businesses, you know, tools for this type of customer, tools for that type of customer, and we're getting now more focused on creating fintech products for specific types of users, and a lot of that boils down to the fact that those sorts of users are far more easily reachable now by means of of social media, and we can actually target those individuals and we can create audiences. And and then that sort of then goes down to the next layer, which is demand generation, that you can create content for those individuals and become a thought leader in that particular area, which makes you the go-to brand. Um, for that type of audience.
0: Yeah, and so now, what I'd like to um, talk about is kind of that process of starting a fintech company, uh, finding product market fit, and then you know scaling. And it is true that there is quite a difference between you know introducing the product to a market, then finding the product market fit, and then scaling. So we kind of want to divide between those through three um, parts. So starting from the beginning. A Fintech company or a founder has an idea, and they want to introduce a product to the market, completely new. How, from a marketing perspective, how do they stand out, or how, where do they get started with their marketing?
1: Yeah, So if we've got a brand new product that's incredibly disruptive, and in reality doesn't really have any direct competitors, or, or even if they do, you know, they're, they're not 100 percent direct, there might be some overlap then there's, there's sort of two things that, that stand in the way of trying to acquisition your customers. Um, one is um, education, and then the other is, is brand awareness. And, and brand awareness is one of those things that, you know, it really, really comes over, you know, money and time really is what you need. Um, and You can have as much money in the world, but, but, you know, at the end of the day, it takes time to develop that brand awareness. The second thing is obviously you know, education uh, and education can come in, in, in lots of different formats, but, you know, in, in trying to establish product market fit and just getting out of the front gates, it, it kind of goes back to, to the earlier question of, you know, how to get started with marketing. And, and the first thing comes down to is being really, really clear on who you're going to put your product in front of, you know, and then what you're going to say to that audience and being really, really clear as to what value that you're going to provide for them. And then pretty much creating the distribution channels for your product. Now, those distribution channels could be paid, it could be organic, it could be PR, um, or it could be a mixture of all of those sorts of things. But the reality is, is that actually you don't know what's going to work and what's not going to work. Because, you know, as we said, you, you don't have product market fit. So there's actually no guarantee that there's anything wrong with the channels or the message or anything at all like that. It might just be the fact that your your users don't need your product and there's no fit there. So the way to overcome that is through vigorous testing and experimentation. So rolling out, you know, over over a reasonable period of time, that is, you know, as many messages, uh, testing as many messages, you know, landing pages, ad types, channels that you can, and then trying to find a nail nail you know, the channels and the audiences that you are creating some stickiness with. But then also being really agile, and this goes, you know, know, why you have to have an excellent relationship with the product managers as well, Um, being really, really clear as to what the stumbling blocks are, because you may only be able to push users so far into your onboarding journey, and then they hit a stumbling block. Um, You know, for example, we've had a couple of clients that, you know, the product's been fine, there's definitely a match there, um, but there's a lack of education around open banking, and that's created a sticking point for the user. You know, to a degree at which you know that feature was, was, you know, I mean, this is fintech, fintech comes open banking, right? And if you've got an audience that isn't comfortable with hooking up their bank accounts to use your platform, you know, that could be a major issue. But yeah, you know, so, so the, the key thing to, to you know developing that product market fit is, is continuous experimentation, being agile. But then also starting off the process with, you know, being clear on what success looks like. Um, I, I think you know when we go into this process, we try to be really, really clear as to you know what success is going to be, and then referring back to that, and also being very, very clear that success isn't always signing up a thousand customers or, or you know getting immediate ROI or or similar. You could define it as getting return on ad spend. But being clear as to what that return is going to be, you know, we regularly do, you know, after we've done sort of pilot campaigns, we'll do a, you know, what we've learned uh, for clients. And we'll distill our thoughts and opinions on what we feel the issues are and try to be, you know, uh, as objective about it as possible. Um, but if you're successful, really what you should see at the end of that is, the, or the key indicator is, is that you're getting sign-ups. Um, Even if it's just email addresses and even if they're not making the whole way through the onboarding platform, but that's definitely, you know, positive engagement. And then you're seeing a reduction in, let's call it CPA, because they may not be active customers, but definitely a reduction in cost per acquisition. and that starts heading down, then you know you're heading in the right direction. And then from that point forward, you've kind of got two decisions to make, or well, let's call it a decision, um, which is how do you develop a product and is it time to scale at that point? So I suppose the other key part of it is installing feedback loops. Um, I think that, that's you know, it's tremendously important. So the customers that have signed up, speak to them. You know Why have they signed up? Why do they like you? What part of um, your proposition did they enjoy? And then also being really clear with the ones that haven't signed up, why they didn't and what, what were the sticking points. Um, going back to my example of AJ Bell, the SIP provider, hopefully I won't get a phone call from them. Well, maybe I will, and maybe they'll fix the onboarding process. Mm, yeah. um, but look, hor- horrendous onboarding process. But they do have product market fit. They offer uh, a very, very flexible SIP solution that's low cost. And in reality, you know, the UX of the onboarding process is obviously secondary to them because they're getting customers to sign up. So, you know, if you have got a really, really strong proposition. It may not necessarily mean, you know, you, you may have a bit of a bumpy onboarding process, and really the only way is up at that point. And, and that, that's something positive to have, you know. So, you know, those feedback loops are really, really important.
0: So, you're a fintech founder, you've done a lot of tests, a lot of research, you've got the feedback loops, you've found product market fit. The numbers are going down or up the right way, in a way. The second part is developing. That product market fit, and that's what you said, right? That decision of focusing, deciding to focus on the products, or deciding to focus on the audience. I'm guessing. So, what happens after that? What is? How does uh, the found, How do the founders build on that? So yeah, so,
1: so once you've got your sort of first traction, you know, I, I think product market fit's always a bit of a grey area. It's not a single. Uh, I don't personally believe it's a single point in time. Um, I, I think it's more of a feeling where you can start feeling that traction. And then there's always room for, you know, room for improvement. So there's, there's two things that you do there, or two or three things that you do there. One is continuously improve the product through experimentation and A-B testing, constantly improving the onboarding journey, and let's call it the, the on-page experience. So things like landing pages, uh, messaging, um, and touch points from when the user actually lands on your property. And then also, then continuous experimentation on, on messaging and audience as well. So you know, bearing in mind we said at the beginning that if you're going to you know, you're going to launch your activity, you might be only fo- focusing on say one set of users. Really, now the question is: is that actually will your product be applicable to 10x of that? You know, let's say we were targeting just, just let's say high net worth individuals for an investment platform. That's great that you found traction there, but does your proposition? also work for, say, mid-net-worth and lower-net-worth individuals? And how do they react to the product and what are their sticking points? And then going through that same process of experimentation. And there's a point at which where you have to then say, okay, based upon these audience sizes, this, this, this total addressable market that we have, is there an audience big enough for us to scale into that could, create the valuation of the company that we set out to when we pitched our VCs and made those promises that we promised? And if the answer is no, then it's going back to say, okay, well, what needs changing? Are the audiences incorrect? Does the messaging need testing? Does there need to be fundamental changes in the features of the product in order to do that? So a really, really simple one might be, for example, reducing the minimum um, spend or the minimum amount of finance that you provide or the minimum requirements that you, to, in order to make the product a little bit more generally uh, applicable. Or it might be actually that you've got an abundance of customers and actually the problem with scaling is, is that you don't know what to scale into because the opposite direction, obviously, as mentioned, is that it's difficult for you to try and expand into every single market because, frankly speaking, budget does doesn't allow. So at which point you then need to say, okay, which customers present the best lifetime value versus the best customer acquisition cost. And then making a decision that way. So you can kind of go in, in two directions. Do you expand your market out or do you narrow your market even further? I mean, if you can narrow your market even further, that's champagne problems, in my opinion.
0: I, yeah, definitely, definitely. And then that's when you come on to the third kind of step, which is you've made that decision that you're saying, okay, expanding to market or narrowing down. And the third step is, okay, you're not a startup anymore. Essentially, you're a scale-up. You're going from, I don't know, a hundred thousand or millions of of users now. So in that case, does it make sense to suddenly kind of expand in a different way? And at that stage, yeah, what does that look like at that stage?
1: Yeah, this is a really, really interesting stage in my opinion. And I think that the the problem with this stage is the if you're successful in the previous two two stages. Uh, you're lower, you know. You're lured into a false sense of security because what you've effectively been doing, you know, you've got you've got your customer acquisition cost at this point. You've got an idea, you've got a benchmark, but effectively what you've been doing is being, you know, is picking apples up off the floor. So you've been going for the low hanging fruit. Now, as you try and expand into the marketplace, you you know, you you're, you know, to go on the analogy of the lower hanging fruit, you're trying to reach higher and higher up that tree. And as you're doing that, your customer acquisition cost therefore increases. Uh, now, if you've got a huge market, you may not spot that situation for quite some time, or you've just been stealing users off, off competitors who, um, who are providing a, an inferior customer experience. But once that, that, you know, you, you've plundered that area, you're in a situation where you need to start creating your audience and educating your audience and you know, working on that brand thing that I was talking about a little bit earlier. And there's even stages sort of within scaling. So knowing that you've got that fit and you've got that traction, in reality, you should be in a position where you can start, you know, particularly from a performance marketing perspective, you can effectively just start pouring money into the funnel and you're putting in X and you're getting Y out. It becomes a very, very simple you know, simple equation. And then what will then happen is, is then you'll start maxing out audiences or specific channels. So we've got, you know, for example, we've got a, a, um, a client and we've now we're now maxed out on their um on the you know on their on their app installs basically. We're not going to get anything more out of them. So next steps are we're gonna have to start targeting platforms like Reddit, Facebook and Twitter to get our audience there. Brilliant, we've got a whole new audience there, but they're not low-hanging fruit. So now what we need to do is change the messaging that we're putting in front of them. So it's no longer buy X, sign up now. It's Here's our value proposition. This is the reason to believe in, in in us and the product that we're providing, and this is what we're going to deliver to you. And that onboarding journey becomes a little bit longer, and therefore the customer acquisition cost increases as well. Now, over time that will go down, and in fact, in fact, it could actually go lower than 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 just the app installs, but it will take some time there. The next step after that, and and, and this is where you, you know you start competing with the big boys, is you start thinking of more above the line activity. So you're going for TV ads. You're going for media buys um, on, on certain websites. Um, you may be doing out of home. You're doing some really interesting stuff. Now, look, there, there, there'll you know, be CMOs out there. that will go, well, actually, you know, we could be doing this earlier on in the funnel or, or earlier on in the process and doing that in parallel will with this scale-up. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that at all whatsoever. And I think if you're confident enough in your product, you know the size of your audience, you've got the budget to do it, then then brilliant. Um, lean into it and naturally, you know, you, you do a pilot campaign and if it works out, then, then you know, you kind of go whole hog. But that's pretty much where you then go to. And then the other thing to sort of add into that mix is looking at the markets you're going after. So, you know, what are the territories that you could be going after? You know, are you just focused in the UK? Are you just targeting London and surrounding areas at the moment? Are you then branching out to, you know, the other larger cities like Manchester and Birmingham and Bristol and whatnot, and how are you going to target those? Or is this was this a proposition that you can take to different countries? So you know, talking about one of our other clients, you know, during this entire process of identifying how we're going to scale up, what we have done is identified eight key countries or eight territories that we're going to go after, four primary ones, four secondary ones, and we're going to take a view of doing an always-on campaign in the top four and you're going to continue some vigorous testing with, with the secondary four. And then we're going to just layer on some, some uh, more interesting media buys to try and uh, lower the cack in, in, in those sorts of areas. And then you're going to deal with whole problems like languages and stuff like that. But, you know, um, I, I won't, I won't get into that, but yeah, that, that, that's sort of what scale up then looks like, because if you've got that traction, um, you know, lean into it, you know, don't, don't, don't be scared to in, in, you know, my advice is, is that if you are a little bit wary of it, you know, just start increasing your budget month by month, just look at what that payback period is, um, keep an eye on, on, on the metrics, but then also at the same time, don't get too lost into the metrics as well. Uh, you know, have, have mindful respect of what, you know, branding activity is doing for you as well. And a simple measure is just keep an eye on your homepage traffic and organic searches for your brand. And that will give you a really good view.
0: Wow. Well, we've just kind of done kind of the journey of a fintech from zero to scale up. And it's it's very interesting. And honestly, it's a topic we could talk about for hours because it's there's so much detail that goes into that. And obviously it's kind of different for every company at the end of the day. But also what's really interesting is hearing your own experience because you've been able to work with a lot of these companies um, firsthand. So you've, at Growth Gorilla, you've worked with over 25 uh, fintech companies and you've mentioned before that um, one of the most common mistakes fintech companies uh, make is uh, not focusing on conversions or tracking the wrong thing. So could you expand on, you know, how can a fintech company figure out you know which conversions they should focus on and why tracking is so important?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know in a nutshell, you know you can't optimize what you can't measure and data analytics is is so important to have it from day one. the The investment that you're making to implementing a you know a product management tool, having the tracking set up correctly you know, will pay massive dividends. I mean, it could save you thousands, you know, if not tens of thousands on your, you know, on, on your media budget. Um, so looking at it from the perspective of, of when you sort of first start out and you're driving traffic, you know, and volume through your, your, your funnel, you're going to get a lot of traffic and a lot of data points at the upper end of the funnel, which is fairly easy to track using platforms like Google Analytics, but, and this goes back to your first question, you know, what, why, you know how, how are fintechs different from traditional financial services? Because a lot of them have a platform, you know, well, all of them have an app or a platform, they're self-serve. Effectively, they go through the entire, entire sign-up process, you know, end to end. They might be doing it with some nudges from marketing automation and emails. But ultimately speaking, that end point where they sign up is so, you know, it's right at the bottom of the funnel that we need to know, or you as a brand need to know where that user's coming from, and the only way to do that is with you know high quality tracking tools in place. So, you know, Google Analytics will probably take you as far as you know once we get a user's email address, or, or step one. But thereafter, you know you're you're in a bit of a black hole because obviously your platform's um, you know proprietary technology. So you need to uh, you know overlay some sort of product management tool to try and pull out that data that you need. And that data that we pull out will tell you, yes you know uh, who the individual is and, and, and you know the, the data points that you're extracting from them, but it also tell, tell you you know what pages they've visited on your website, the way that they've moved around your your platform uh, and then go into the link between product and marketing, the attribution you know so what keywords has, has this user come in from what Facebook campaigns has this user come in from and, and actually have they Come in via an ad uh, before or after already visiting the website. And then it's then pulling all of that data and then making intelligent decisions around that data. So for me, a really, really good use case would be: let's say we're getting a ton of traffic coming in from Google search, and we can now, you know, we can see, because of you know good tracking. We can see what keywords are converting that user, and we're thinking, great, you know, this keyword is converting like there's no tomorrow. At the same time, we've got a Facebook campaign running, and it's you know bringing in twenty or thirty percent of the volume. And you, as a, a as you know, the founder or CMO or marketing manager, how to make a decision of where to put your budget because you know not all of us are blessed with having an infinite budget. The natural instinct would be let's power all the money into Google Search. However, using a high quality, you know product management tool, we can actually see, for example, um, let's say we've got an investment platform, how much each investor is actually putting in and then overlaying that data as to where they've originally come from. So now what you have is an indication of lifetime value versus cap. And by doing some mathematics, you might find that actually your Facebook campaigns are bringing maybe lower volume but higher quality customers than your Google searches. Or, you know, you could even do that over territories, locations, Certain products that you're offering, all of these sorts of things. You also might be, you know, be able to pull out, you know, the life cycle um, and how long it takes for someone to go from end to end. And you know that, you know, the first ten days, for example, um, that or in, of interaction the user has with your brand is so key. I think face, you know, Facebook done a um, a, a, um, a brilliant case study many many years back, and I think it was that they needed to have so their first users needed to have at least. I know seven or eight or 10 friends within the first 21 days in order for them to become a sticky user, you know, having high quality data analytics in place allows you to uncover those findings and then allows you to then react. And then it leads on to other activity that you should be doing. So things like, you know, CRM, marketing automation, remarketing um, and, and, you know, customer service stuff that, that needs to be in place as well. So, yeah, I I can't I could can go on forever about how how important yeah, data yeah. is. It's, it's
0: very interesting. I mean, I mean, the key is having the right data, and not only having the right data, but also being able to view it and, and understand it, and then making decisions based on that data. Uh, ideally, every company, every fintech company, would be able to install the highest quality product management tool and and have the best data scientists on their team. But the reality is that obviously, when you're a small fintech. Or even a middle, like uh, scaling up, you, you might not have the resources to do that. So, at what stage would you say does a fintech company, should a fintech company consider installing this product management tool and maybe hiring a couple of, of data scientists or, or someone who's very data driven?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, with, with product management tools, um, most of them have a, have a free tier. So, I think Heap has like up to sixty thousand page visits a month. I think amplitude does something similar. Um, they're, they're the two that that seem to be most popular with our clients There's the occasional mix panel being used, but all of them have a free tier. so you can install it from day one. Um, and Fintechs are lucky. Uh, marketers you're you're lucky because you have in-house developers. Um, you know you might have to sort of you know uh, fold it into one of their sprints, but um you know they can get it added pretty much from day one. And in terms of sort of data um, and data scientists, you know, I'm very, very sort of biased there. I, you know, from our perspective, our clients, you know, between if they've got a, you know, a data analyst or data scientist in their team, our team will work very, very closely with them. Those that don't, you know, our our team, I'm I'm lucky enough that we've got some superstars on our team that that are really, really good at pulling out insights. So I think it's a case of if if you don't have the resource for having a data scientist in house, you know, then whoever you're working with from a marketing perspective or whichever agency you're working with from a marketing perspective should be able to help you pull out those insights and help you make decisions on that basis.
0: Yeah, that's that's a good tip. Um, so I'd love to hear now, kind of move on to how you at Growth Gorilla you approach. You've mentioned uh, very data driven. Uh, you kind of differentiate be- between different scales when of a fintech company. There's also the difference between B two C and B two B. So when a fintech company approaches Growth Gorilla, uh, what what is the first step? What is the first thing you do when they say, you know, we need a we need some paid marketing? How can you help us?
1: Yeah, so. Our approach and process at Growth Gorilla is based on obviously having worked with, with uh, so many fintechs, and, and as the years have gone by, um, we kind of kick everything off with a um, you know a thirty day onboarding process. It's it's mandatory. There's no ifs, no buts. We do it with every single one of our clients, and it's a two way street. So we're there to help um, nail down the you know what success looks like, what we're trying to achieve the value proposition, the target audiences. And you know, in most cases, some of that foundation foundational work will already have been done. What we'll do is we'll purposely come in and challenge some of that, not, not to be awkward, but just to sense check it. Then thereafter that, we'll put together, um, based upon obviously all of those outcomes, during that process, we'll put together an execution plan, uh, lay out the activity that we're going to do, and then we'll start putting together experiments that we want to run with the client for the hypothesis that we, that we want to test. Um, I'm sort of well-known within within the agency for um, whenever there's a disagreement, you know, internally or, or externally with a client, my go-to response is, well, let's test it. You know, no one really knows the answer here. It's all conjecture. And, and even in terms of, like, modelling things out and stuff as well, sometimes, you know, the the, the best resort is to just throw some money at it and, and just see what happens because, you know, you can't tell. But, yeah, once we put together the execution plan, we'll go ahead and set up all the accounts, ensure tracking is is set up robustly, so we'll QA all of that, uh, and then we'll put together some uh, MVP campaigns to kick off with and kind of begin from there. And then after that, it it becomes an iterative process. Equally as well, what we'll try and do is just make sure that there is some sort of um, CRM activity going on as well, because, you know, if you don't mind, you know, one of the what one of the, the things of when you said, you know, one of the most common mistakes is that there's also a view that customers will sign up and go through the onboarding process, you know, without any issues at all. And they won't require activating. But actually, a lot of the times, one of the things that we find is that will drive users, but they won't necessarily activate immediately. So what we try and do is just make sure that we've got some email marketing activity in place, some CRM activity in place to actually activate the users and encourage them to, to complete the sign up process or, you know, do their first acquisit her first action that qualifies them as, you know, an active customer. Yeah. So, so that's that sort of first processes. And then thereafter that we'll, we'll embark on a, a minimum three month process or three month campaign at any given time. So we tend to work in sort of three month uh, rollouts.
0: Uh, thanks for sharing. And at Growth Gorilla, what, who are your ideal clients? Like who are the, what what is the perfect fintech? Oh, I mean, there's no perfect fintech company, but what are the yeah? What are the fintech companies that you usually work with? What features and yeah? What do they share?
1: Yeah, of course. So, um, so ideal sort of client, um, as I said, obviously is fintech. Um, ideally, what we what t- it's is two things. Really. We we we're actually for for mindset um, and, and a bit of budget as well. Uh, believe it or not. So, from a mindset perspective. We want to work with with fintech firms that are, you know, happy to take on a learning and experimental uh, take. You know, that's sort of the first thing. And then the second thing is um, making sure they have adequate resource internally to um, dedicate time to working, you know, or an adequate resource internally for their marketing efforts and, and then also to work with us as an agency. If it's the case, in my you know sort of just going back to advice, is if you're a founder or you're a team that's trying to juggle the marketing activity, you're gonna get far more bang for your buck hiring in a marketer to take lead on that. And and I promise you, from all the companies that we worked with, the ones that have been successful and move forward are the ones that have a dedicated resource internally um, to focus on marketing. And sometimes that dedicated resource is a founder and you know, there's nothing wrong with that. So between sort of having that, that learning mindset and that experimental approach and having a dedicated resource, uh, they're the sort of fintechs that we want to work with. Uh, look, naturally, there's a budgetary aspect of it as well. So from seed is absolutely fine. Um, but in reality, you know, a minimum sort of budget uh, a year of around, around about a you know, quarter of a million marketing budget plus is kind of where we come in. If I'm honest, anything sort of lower than that um, you're probably either better sort of managing it internally or you may not be quite ready just yet to embark on doing your sort of first um, round of marketing activity. And, and I think, you know, a lot of that also of uh, allocating that budget comes with confidence as well. Um, if you've done all the things you need to do to get your first sort of round of beast customers in, then you'll feel confident um, and, and um, a good, good place to sort of, Check to see whether you have or not. Um, it is It's an article by Paul Graham, uh, one of the men behind, obviously, Y Combinator. He's got an article uh, called uh, "Do Things That Don't Scale." If you've done those things and you've got your core set of users and you're feeling confident, then then it's probably time to allocate some budget and take first steps with, with an agency like us, or, or you know, with an in-house team. Either way.
0: Yeah, definitely. Uh, can you share a certain, like, can you share success stories? You don't, you don't have to mention names, but uh, some examples for, you know, people who are listening and are considering uh, amping up their, their marketing budget and they want to hear kind of what happens behind the scenes and, and what success looks like. Yeah. Can, are you able to share off the top of your head?
1: Yeah. Uh, there's my, my, my favorite, uh, my favorite success story is actually, uh, I'll, I'll do a B2C and I'll do a B2B. So one of my favourites is, is um, a B2B client that we had. They produce um, uh, or they provide R&D uh, tech software for um, accountants and consultancies looking to to do R&D claims. Big success story was is that we nailed down the value proposition. We nailed down the audience. Um, we, dis- we did various um, testing and messaging. And after three months of rolling out the activity, Um, we got the dreaded call from the client saying that they didn't want to work with us anymore, not because we did a bad job, but because they couldn't handle the amount of leads that we were bringing in. And they had to um, uh, take a step back uh, and review their entire business processes and how they were going to manage that and how they were going to scale it. And you'd be all glad to hear that they've come back to us um, and we're helping them to automate a lot of their activity now. And, And I suppose it's actually, you know, you talk about the difference between B2C and B2B, you know, one of the things here is, is you know, trying to automate whatever can be automated, but without losing that personal touch. So, yeah, you know, that, that's one of our success stories there. I'm really sort of proud of that. Um, and, and they're a great team to work with as well. Um, on the B2C side, there's this probably, I mean, there's a whole bunch that I can kind of think of. But I think sort of answering the question of, you know, what does success look like for those guys and, you know, what's what's on the other side? Once you've got those fundamentals in place, and, and you know the two clients that I'm specifically think about, thinking about, we went through this process of nailing down this value prop, testing out messaging, and testing out a whole ton of channels, um, and just you know starting off at a point where CAC was insane, and then driving it down to a, a very reasonable level. We're now at a position where you know we're going to those we get we're in, we're in this that area of, you know champagne problems you know we've got huge amounts of budget that we need to spend but the budget's probably still not big enough for, for the total addressable market so we're then having to do really cool stuff like deciding which territories to go after what type of users to go after um, and then we're really stepping up our game in terms of the sort of messaging design ads branding activity that we're having to do in order to take the client from being a challenger to being a you know a brand uh, a go-to brand for the product that they're providing and that journey from challenger to go-to brand is it's the most fun that you can have because you get to start doing the cool stuff which is coming up with you know really cool campaigns and and uh you know all sort you know ads videos all that sort of stuff and then placing that out on on you know five six seven different types of channels And then, you know, getting to then have, you know, large amounts of data that you can then take really, really high quality learnings from. Because that's the other benefit as well. When you've got all of that data coming in, you can make some serious decisions as to where you want to take the marketing activity and the insights that you're having. And and it's difficult to do that at at, at the lower end. But I suppose from a founder and a marketer's perspective, you know, that's kind of where you, you know, you want to have those problems. Um, you know you want to be sitting there scratching your head thinking damn you know what 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 country are now we going to launch into which audience are we going to go after how do I distribute my dev team as you know for what product features we're gonna go do next and, and that's kind of what that looks like on the other side but you know none of that is possible unless you create the, that distribution channel and you know you do you know which is ultimately your marketing activity and and that's kind of you know what success looks like on that side and you know, to be fair to the clients and brands that I know that have done that, and you know, there's numerous of them. you know a lot of that comes down to having rigorously rigorously gone through the first steps, you know relentlessly testing, and then also holding their nerve as well, because it's hard to go through that testing process and it's hard to go through those beginning steps and seeing a product that you've poured you know years of your life into you put it out into market and actually it doesn't get the traction you expect it to. But, you know, it, it, it's one of those things that you go, okay, fine. You know, we'll take learnings from that. We'll test, um, we'll modify, we'll improve. And then ev- eventually, you know, you, you hit that promised land and, and you're in the position where you can really start scaling, but it's funny the way.
0: Definitely. It sounds super exciting. It really does. So, well, thanks so much Shamir. Um, I have one more question. Uh, Before we we finish this episode is, you know, do you have any final tips or advice for fintech founders or fintech marketers who are listening to this, no matter what stage they're at from your own personal experience?
1: Yes, um, a handful of things. Um, First thing is never too early to start marketing. There doesn't necessarily need to be paid or huge campaigns. You know, that that can be from, um, you know. The day that you've decided that you want to launch this product, start building up your audience. Um, you know, start tweeting, start putting messages out on LinkedIn, start talking to people, um, start building up that audience, and, and try and build up an email list from day one because you know that's worth its weight in gold. Second thing would be track everything. You know, later on you can decide what was useless information, and what's not useless information, or what's helpful. Um, but don't be afraid to track it. Um, get the tools in there get tracking set up Um, i do know of and work with brands that they've done some serious levels of marketing activity and they haven't had the google analytics set up and effectively they're having to start from day one because actually they don't have any learnings that can be leveraged to take them to the next level and that's really hampered their growth the third thing is be consistent Um, you know as I said, it can be, you know, it's difficult sometimes to launch into some activity, it doesn't work the way you expect it to, and then it's thinking, well, what are we going to do from here? Um, but consistency is a real big part of building brand and acquisitioning customers. A really, really good example is um, you know, we were running activity for a client, they were only running things for two weeks at a time and then turning it off. We kind of maxed out where we were with them. So we ended up sort of a bit, bit of arm-twisting, asking them to, to run activity for at least a month at a time. And what we started seeing was is that from week three, you know, the volume started increasing and, and, and CAC started dropping. And all it was is that they're, you know, they're, this onboarding cycle was just a little bit longer than they expected it to be. And that consistency of doing that and then you know, eventually going to an always-on approach will be a big catalyst of, of, of their growth. So you know, be consistent. And then be really, really rigid about um, the plans that you set out for. You know, I, I would ideally, ideally work in sort of three month um, cycles, um, and then break that down into activities that you're going to do for each month. But then be really, really flexible about the campaign, uh, the the experiments that you're running, because you know sometimes you really need to push a platform to its to the nth degree before you get something out of it, um, and and you know. You can, you can give up too soon um, sometimes. So there, yeah, they'd there, be my tips.
0: Well, I think they're super, I love that. They're very insightful, very actionable. And thanks so much for for sharing that. If anyone wants to reach out and get in contact with you, Shamir, where can they find you?
1: Yeah, um, so you can visit our website, um, or search for a fintech uh, marketing agency. I think we rank number one on that. Uh, you can also reach out to me on LinkedIn Uh just search for me Shamir Satchdev um, or, or any member of my team. Um, and you can follow me on Twitter as well. Surprisingly, no one's taken the handle at Shamir Sachdev. So, um, and if you spell it correctly, uh, 10 out of 10.
0: <laughs> well, we'll add all those links in the show notes so everyone, everyone can access those. So thank you so much, Shamir, for coming on. I think this is packed with actionable information and tips. So I'm sure our listeners will have come away with some really really interesting information so thanks again for coming on
1: brilliant thank you very much for
0: having me on thank you for listening to this episode you can find all the information and show notes over at fintechmarketinghub.com if you'd like to come on the podcast or just share some feedback don't hesitate to get in touch with us we're always looking for ways to improve the podcast that's all for today see you next time